And now, who has won? Fool, did you think that by all this you would save the human traitor? And now I will kill you instead of him as our pact was, and so the deep magic will be appeased. But when you are dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? And who will take him out of my hand then? Understand that you have given me Narnia forever. You have lost your own life and you have not saved his. In that knowledge, despair and die. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that we are talking about The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe today. But general spoiler warning for the Narnia series as a whole, as well as heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories that we enjoy. So we'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything crazy. But today, we're discussing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chapter 14, The Triumph of the Witch. Oh, the witch. Chase, uh, uh, I would ask you to play taps during my summary, but I feel like that would just be a a mess for audio purposes. So listeners, I just want you to pretend like you're hearing taps or some somber music while I'm maybe Enya or something like that uh, while I'm reading this summary. If you'd like to play both at the same time, uh, I would recommend it. Aslan says that they have to move away from the stone table because it's needed for other business. What other business? Who knows? They eat and they pack up camp and he explains that once the witch finishes her plans in these parts, what plans? She will probably try to return to her house and prepare for a siege. They should cut her off beforehand. And Aslan begins giving Peter battle plans. Smart. Peter asks if Aslan will be there. And he says he cannot promise that he will. And he seems sad for a good portion of the journey. They get to the river where they will make camp. And Peter asks if they should go to the other side of the river in case the witch tries to attack in the night. Aslan moodily says that it doesn't matter and that she won't. But they decide to go over anyway. His mood makes it a very uncomfortable evening to the point when they go to bed. Susan can't sleep because of it, and Lucy is in the same boat, feeling that something dreadful is going to happen to Aslan. So the sisters get out of bed to go for a late-night walk to look for him. They spotted the lion walking away from the camp into the woods, and they decide to follow him, going up the same path that led them towards the sewn table. After a while, he stops and turns around, asking why they are following him. They said they couldn't sleep and ask if they can walk with him, and he gladly welcomes their company as long as they promise to leave when he tells them he must go on alone. Aslan is clearly down and the girls ask what is wrong and he says that he's sad and lonely and he asks them to walk with their hands on his mane so that he can feel their presence and help him feel better. They get to the hill where the stone table is and Aslan tells them that they must stop there and make sure to not be seen and a great crowd of the witch's followers are gathered at the top of the hill carrying torches with evil red flames and the whole party were all sorts of different monstrous beasts, including ones that we dare not describe and mention in this podcast. And in the middle, standing on the stone table, was the witch herself. The crowd and even the witch first react in dismay, and they're, they're frightened when they see the giant lion. But when they see that he is not attacking, they gain confidence, and they begin to bind him and shave him and insult him. All the while, Azen makes no sound. He does not attack. He does not fight back. And the crowd acted as though they were triumphant, even though a single swipe of Aslan's paw or a single bite from his jaws could have destroyed them. 
They mock him and they call him names. And as Lucy and Susan watched him crying, they saw that his shorn face now looked even braver and more beautiful than ever. The witch has Aslan's mouth muzzled and they continue to spit on him and beat him. And at last they dragged him up onto the stone table and tie him up even more. And a hush falls over the crowd. The witch bares her arms once more and pulled out a strange stone knife. She kneels down and said to Aslan that she is one. But even though he has traded himself for the boy, she will now be able to kill everyone because Aslan is no longer in her way. And because of this, he has handed her Narnia forever. She kills Aslan, but the girls don't want to watch that part because this is a children's story and you got to keep this PG. Uh, this is a family-friendly podcast. And our theme of this family-friendly yet somber podcast, Cal, is Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Um, a very sacrificial podcast indeed. It feels it feels almost kind of sacrilege to like know that we're gonna make jokes in this chapter. <laughs> but I'm still going to. I'm going to. Like, I mean, I'm, we're gonna do it. Look, but I, I like to call this chapter Aslan's teen years. Uh he's called <laughs> Cryptic and Moody. Uh, at one point he literally, no joke, isn't listening to someone talk, notices he's being spoken to, flips his hair, sighs. <sighs> And then says, doesn't matter. And just like blows he's, them off. He's he's so one. Te- oh yeah. He's he's one emo song away from going, you just don't understand me, Pevensey children. Okay. Uh but this is a this is a somber chapter throughout. And the writing it makes it very clear that this is a sad and somber chapter. He yeah. the tone is present throughout. Which is really interesting, and it's it's a very distinct tone shift uh, throughout the whole chapter. Which, again, props to props to C.S. Lewis. I'll give him more props throughout this chapter. Oh, for he sure. writes Aslan. He writes Aslan really well. But Aslan yeah. begins by saying, "We must move from this place at once because it will be wanted for other purposes, and we should be camp somewhere else." What other purposes, Our, Aslan? What aren't you oh, telling us? This conference room was double booked, so we've got to find something else. <laughs> um, did uh, I mention the witches throwing a party later? It's going to be pretty chill. Yeah. So throughout this, Aslan is so cryptic, and no one asks any questions. Like I get that they revere and respect Aslan, but you're telling me no one. Like there was no Peter in the audience to like blate. Like Peter, uh, the disciple, not Peter, the uh, you know child in this story, uh, because like. Out of Jesus' disciples, he had so many of them who always blurted out stuff when Jesus said something cryptic and vague. Like, you're telling me no one was like, what's being used at the stone table, Aslan? Yeah, and where's like later, Mr. Beaver when you need him? Yeah, later, the witch, like, he's going to go, he's talking to Peter about battle plans, which we'll get into in a sec, but he has, the witch has business at the stone table. What business does the witch have, Aslan? Like, no one is asking these questions. Like, I would understand if Aslan didn't answer them, but no one's asking? Yeah, it's it's really uh I don't know. There there is such thing as being a bad follower. Like yeah. there's bad leadership for sure, but then sure. there's also bad following, which is blindly going along and not getting any kind of context or information. Sure. And that is definitely what is happening here. Hey, you know what? You know who's not just going along blindly and getting no information? Peter, because he is a he is apparently Aslan's chief war strategist. A 13-year-old who just nearly threw up from having killed his first being 
uh, is now being put in charge of war strategy. Not the centaurs or any of the creatures who have gladly fought for Aslan before. No, no, no. Trust yeah. the 13-year-old with these brilliant war strategies. Yeah, maybe maybe entrust this information to people who have, I don't know, finished puberty. And yeah. Who've, who've used a sword more than once. Yeah. Even who know more, at least, they at least, people who, know how to, people who know to clean their sword. You know, yeah, it's, people it's don't a, need to be reminded to clean their sword multiple times. It's a it's a thing where like at least have a council here. Like the council of Aslan slash Elrond needs to meet in this circumstance yeah. to discuss warfare and battle strategy. Because like if I'm a grown centaur, like sure this kid is a human and he's going to be the king one day theoretically if we win. But why should I listen to this little brat? Like I'm a grown man centaur. Or like a giant like bear man or you know bull man or whatever you know. No, it it'd be better even just to bring in Edmund, <laughs> like to have, <laughs> or or for that matter, Susan, who is the second oldest. Like it is, it would make more sense to have this information go to more than one person, even let alone sure. just an adult. Why right. not find an adult? It it, it it's so weird, but. In in the in going along with vagueness and weirdness, Peter says, but you're going to be there yourself, Aslan. Why are you telling me these things? Why bring up this information at all? Because you'll be present. And Aslan goes, can't promise that. And like this is, at this point. <laughs> this is the first I've heard of it. People should be concerned. Like the dude who you were counting on for the magic of the witch to cease, the dude who you were counting on to defeat the witch is just going, I don't know. May or may not be there. Which, like, first of all, Aslan knows for a fact that he is going to rise from the dead. He knows this. He knows he's going to be there. Why doesn't he say, I have business to attend to, but I will join you later? Because even Jesus, when talking about his death, is always very clear, I'm going to come back. Like, don't worry. I mean, maybe that's just too explicit foreshadowing for for good old Clive's. Yeah, because C.S. Lewis is known for anything; he's known for subtlety. Yeah, uh, but he like one. So Aslan could definitely promise that he'd be there too. If I'm a follower, I'm freaking out right now. What yeah. do you mean you're not going to be there, Aslan? Where are you going? Let's. Do you real. have other plans? Aslan you got to get your claws one. trimmed. Yeah, Aslan is the reason they all showed up. It's it's yeah. not like they all wanted to follow a 13-year-old. They <laughs> came because they heard the giant magic lion was there and he was gonna do some cool stuff. Like, yeah. This is they yeah. haven't been fighting the witch all this time because Aslan was not there. Yeah. That's if all the they needed reason. was the human children, then this would be another story. But, and this makes it exceptionally weirder if it's just dependent on the humans, which it's not. It's Aslan's story. He is the hero who conquers in this. Uh, so whatever. But want to do some quick geography setting here. So C.S. Lewis, again, kind of paints himself into a little bit of a corner by giving too much detail. Because yeah. he says they left after 2 p.m. and that it was still afternoon by the time they arrived at the river. We also know from previous chapters that the stone table is not far from the river. They can see it more or less like from like this is they're close. Yeah. Even, and like at most they're like an hour or two away walking. So yeah, 
Like I would guess probably an hour away. I mean, the girls take a like light stroll with Aslan and get. It's there. not like right. So maybe a mile or two. Like yeah, it's it's and like they're walking uphill through the woods when they come later. So it's not like they can go fast. So they're not far away. Later on in this chapter, we're going to see a massive gathering of creatures and partiers who are loud and yelling. Like, I know for a fact, if there is no other sound that is distracting from this giant rager being thrown at the stone table, you can hear it. You know something's happening. Why are the people of Narnia not more concerned? It's, uh... You know, sometimes you just need to leave a plot hole, a plot hole. <laughs> sometimes you also need to leave like, a plot hole, a plot hole. C.S. Lewis's motto. I haven't read ahead, but I'm pretty sure next chapter, the people that help get the word out it, are like the wood spirits, like the tree spirits. So, like, shouldn't they have heads up? Like, shouldn't they know this is I happening? Mean, at least some of the trees are on Aslan's side, right? Like, that's what we're yeah. aware of. You know, uh, but he like, so all this to say, it just, he, it's a weird, it's, it, it's the problem adding too much description. If you are not prepared for the consequence, like if you're going to add description, you better do it of being like, they walked for hours and they had to weave through to where they could no longer see the stone table, nor could they hear anything that was happening there. Like don't say, ah, it was like a brief, uh, brief little walk away. Uh, yeah. It's close uh, enough where the witch could attack them easily. I can't get enough description of Aslan's moodiness because Bro, he is. It's just a fun time, honestly. I was cracking up. I was dying reading these because, like, he's like sighing deeply. He's being moody. He's speaking in a dull voice. Like, he's just. <laughs> Yeah, he's just so out of it, and which it's affecting everyone. Which, to be fair, funny. I do appreciate that. Like C.S. Lewis has written Aslan with these emotions right now, because like, there's no way he's excited about what's about to happen. Like, he would be sad, and so I appreciate that he's giving. It is the the descriptions are kind of funny at some points because he does like, you know, Peter like, ah, should we move across the river so we don't get attacked? And Aslan's like, huh, Hmm? what? Uh, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, and then he goes, yeah, it doesn't even matter, but whatever. Let's, we could do that again. Like, great, great idea. Like, good job, Peter. But, oh, well, whatever. Like, he's so moody. But, like, I, like. It's funny it's, because to me, it doesn't read as somber. It reads as moody. Like, it doesn't read as the weightiness of this is heavy on him. It yeah, reads that's as fair. he is in a bad mood and he's taking it out and people around him. Which sure. are different things. Like sure. Jesus, we, you really is, don't get, you don't really yeah. get the somberness of Aslan until the walk later. Yeah, because the the Jesus in the garden of this, the the kind of the stress before the big act has to take place, like that wasn't a like snap at people kind of sadness. That was yeah. a I need to go pour my heart out before God kind of sadness. Yeah, we don't get that from Aslan here. We get, oh, sorry, I wasn't paying attention to you because I'm too into my own thing. Sure, yeah, and it it does say like Aslan's mood 
affects everyone and everyone is just distraught because of this they're uncomfortable they don't feel good it's as if the good times having just begun were already drawing to an end again this is where if i'm a follower of aslan if someone who cares about aslan even going like what's going on obviously something is not right your your conversation with the witch clearly had some sort of implications again he may not give you the answer, and I'm okay with him not giving you the answer, but ask the question. Does no one care? Yeah, it's, which I mean, you, you got to think they care. You got to think they have some kind of sense that it's related to the events of the previous or earlier that day talking with the witch. Um, but yeah, it, overall, it's a good leadership lesson here. Like the leader sets the tone of the group. If the leader's moody, it affects everyone's mood. Everyone's going to be moody. Like, this is true on staff teams, families, sports teams, whatever. Like Good leadership yep. includes how you lead with your attitude, as cheesy as that is. Yeah. And you know whose attitude is really affected by this, Chase? Susan and Lucy. They're, they can't sleep. They're distraught. They've got some horrible feelings. Really, it turns out, incredibly accurate feelings that something terrible is going to happen to Aslan. I have this strange sinking feeling that Aslan is going to walk up a hill and die. Like, I just don't know. It's like, it's funny. Cause Lucy says something where it's like, I'm pretty sure again, this is CS Lewis trying to like kind of shoehorn in just a little bit of theology uh, where she's like, Susan goes, uh, you know, I, I have a most horrible feeling or like, you know, they're, they're talking about how they, they don't feel good. And Lucy, Lucy says something about Aslan, either something dreadful is going to happen to him or something dreadful that he's going to do, which is a great theological question of like, when Jesus dies on the cross, was he murdered or did he willingly submit himself to death? John Stott over here. Okay. It was just, it's just a funny little line where I was like, is like the only way, like if, why would you include this? If not to be like, Hey, this is both happening to him, but it's also his choice ultimately. Yep. Like, like Aslan does not die unless he wants to. And you're going to see that in really cool description later. That, Without that's it definitely being a, a pretty major part of this chapter. But yeah, absolutely. It's uh which I mean, their logic here is just golden. These two girls who were recently attacked by a giant wolf in broad daylight, deciding to wander alone into the night in case they might bump into a friend. Toward toward where the witch is like currently stayed. Yeah. Going towards the place that we learned earlier, the witch had other plans. <laughs> She's got business to attend to, bro. Uh, so they see the giant lion slowly walking into the woods, and they decide to follow him, uh, apparently using the same route that leads to the stone table. Who knew? Like, that's oh. convenient. Wow. Uh, this is, in my mind, reading this, I was like, cue the oh no sound from TikTok, where it's like, oh no. Oh no! Like this is the sound I see them like as they're walking up the hill and they start seeing the stone table and the realization starts setting in. This is this is the sound that needs to be played. Yeah, I just I'm so confused by the choice to stalk Aslan and not like try to get his attention. Like, why follow him if you're not going to be like, "Hey, Aslan, wait up!" Like, why just follow at a distance quietly? Like, this is not. This could almost only go wrong if. I don't know. It just seems like a violation in some way. Like, sure. obviously he welcomes it, whatever. But, like, I don't know. If I'm in a mood, I don't want to be followed. 
Yeah. I don't want to be watched. I'd like to be left alone, please. Especially with uh, a lion that they recognize is dangerous. Yeah. One of his notable attributes is that he's not safe. <laughs> sure. But luckily, he doesn't attack. He recognizes that they're there. There's a clearing. They can't hide anymore. And he recognizes. And, um, you know, they uh, they come up to him. And he goes, oh, children. Children. Like, his head is hanging low. His tail is dragging on the ground. He's walking as if he's tired. He goes, children, children, why are you following me? I said, we, we couldn't sleep? Is that reasonable, Aslan? And he goes, uh, Susan asks, may we come with you wherever you're going? And he goes, I should be glad of your company tonight. Yes, you may come if you promise to stop when I tell you and after that to leave me to go on alone. This is the beginning, I think, of some of the best writing that we've seen. Uh, I do really love that part. I think it's a little weird that he tells them and insists that they put their hands on his mane. Yeah, sure. We'll get there. But it's, yeah. I mean, it's a thing where I, I if you're bringing this metaphor to where it needs to go, and that's to the garden, uh, and this is to uh, Jesus's, upcoming betrayal and his walk uh, into the all of his different trials where he's alone. There are, you know, the people that he knows and loves can't go with him. Uh, you know, there are ultimately like when he dies uh, on the cross, the only ones of his followers that we're aware of are his mom and Mary Magdalene. That, that I mean, that I'm aware of. So it's like, it's this kind of cool little like moment. Yeah. I mean, John says that he's included in there too. Uh, it's a very John move uh, to put himself in the story. And he's like, Fast Jesus fire. looked down at me and was like, take care of my mother. And I did. And it's, it's a very John move. So maybe John was also there, but like Jesus is alone on the cross and he has to drink this cup alone. He has to deal with these things alone. And so I, you know, I do love these moments where it, it, it really shows you that Aslan is, He's going towards something confidently. He is walking there without stopping. He is not, you know, changing his mind, but he is sad. And the girls ask, like, are you okay? Like, are you, you know, are you ill? And he goes, no, I'm sad and I'm lonely. And that's why he asks if they can, you know, lay lay their hands on his manes. He, he wants to be comforted right now. Yeah. Still weird to insist that women touch you. Even if it's a hand on the shoulder, it's a weird request. And these are children. Yes, but he's also a lion. And well, yeah, like it'd be like, it'd be different if it was like grown man Aslan. He's like, put your hands on my beard, children. I, I mean, if you had the the book with pictures, he uh, walks on two feet. So yeah, I've seen those, and I just don't like it. That it it makes him look real weird. So it, I. It's so odd. I reject those illustrations as canon. And in my book, in my mind, I go back to the movie where it's like, they're just, they're walking huddled around this giant lion, which oh, is how it should be. Cal, wait till I show you the next scene because the illustration oh, of that is awesome. I can't wait because it sounds horrifying. But this is a, this is a scene. I just, I, I before we get there, I think it's so heartbreakingly beautiful because it just talks about how they've like, this is put it, you know, being able to touch Aslan's mane and being able to like 
feel his warmth is something that these kids have wanted, but now they're now they get it and get it with permission. Yeah. It's in the most heartbreaking moment and it's sad and he is sad and lonely and it's he's like radiating this hurt and this pain and they come to a point it's the last tree and there's no more coverage for them where he says children here you must stop and whatever happens do not let yourself be seen farewell and he walks away and they're crying and he is sad and uh he he turns and goes towards the top of the hill and chase this is what they saw it's you a please? monster mash. <laughs> he did that mash. It wasn't Aslan and Bash. He did that bash. The witch completes her task. The she monster the mash. Bash. And um, with the final slash. Ah, woo. Uh, so, enjoy, you're welcome, listeners. That was improv. That, that, was, uh, that was my poem for this week. Yeah. Did you write that in there like the whole time? I wrote a version of that in there. And I'm glad Excellent. It out. Hey, it all it's, it all works. Uh, so, Chase, we we talked about this this crew in the previous chapter, and I, I look forward to your illustration here in a sec. But again, C.S. Lewis needs feels the need to describe and like restate all of these things, but then he includes some interesting descriptions here. So it says. Around the stone table was a great crowd of people with, you know, torches and evil-looking flames. And then he begins to describe the monsters. Uh, and he says, there are uh, ogres and wolves, bull-headed men, because the men-headed bulls are with the good guys, obviously. Bull-headed men are obviously, they're also minotaurs, which he describes previously, but whatever. Yeah. Spirits, poisonous plants, are these sentient? Well, it's the spirits of the evil trees and the poisonous plants. Because ah. not only the trees have spirits, but the plants. See, this is why I'm a fan of the Oxford comma. Because this is confusing to read that. I, yeah. Because he, he throws in commas randomly and semicolons randomly. Uh, and then, before describing even more creatures, he says... Other creatures whom I won't describe because if I did, the grown-ups would probably not let you read this book. Now, here are the other... He's about to describe some more creatures, but this immediately sends some red flags in my direction. But he, he mentions the cruels and the hags again. I'm going to skip one and come back to it. Uh, and then he mentions wraiths, horrors, which, uh, yeah, I guess scary things. Um, he mentions afrits. Which I looked up, and apparently it's like the gins, like you mentioned a lot, like several chapters ago. Not the gin that you know the queen came from, but the actual like evil spirit genies. Uh, there are uh, sprites, so fairies, I guess. Uh, there are orkneys. There are orkneys, which the best I could come up with is this is his way of giving a shout out to Tolkien uh, and orcs. Um, there are wooses. And are these so wild wood people? Maybe uh, read this is Orkneys and Woosneys and Edies and in Ettons and there's giants. I get, but like this is his Seuss paragraph, I guess. But the one I skipped, Chase, I did so intentionally because he immediately goes, "I won't describe these other creatures because the grown-ups wouldn't let you hear about the rest of this book." And then he includes incubuses. Now. Yes. For listeners who don't know what that is, 
these are basically like I want to keep this as PG as possible. These are basically demons that are sent into the world to seduce and kill people. Yeah. That's yeah. what they are. You're telling like if this is in the okay list, this is in the non-restricted section. What in the world is in the restricted section? Did you see that story last year or the year before about the woman who married a ghost? <laughs> I mean, I didn't, but I'm I mean, I know those things happen. That that is a that was a real news item not too long ago. It, it, it's it, I don't even want to get into this <laughs> because it's so weird, but if he can mention incubi and he doesn't feel comfortable mentioning anything else. What? Why are you comfortable mentioning them? Two, do the kids even know what all of these things are? Because I don't. Like, I would assume you are making stuff up. Like, I think he is. <laughs> I don't know. This feels a lot like when he was describing the flowers and just wanted to make a long list of very specific things. Sneasels only and for weevils. And uh, the, you know... All these ram- rhyming and random things. He was like, man, you know who, who knows a good story? Dr. Seuss. Uh, it, it's just weird, man. Uh, so uh, it's at this point, I'd love to see your illustration if you have it available. And I'll do my best to describe it to the audience. Yeah. Let, let, let the people know. How- Dude, okay. This looks terrifying. So you've got Aslan, and we're about to get to his description but surrounded by all of these demonic, ghoulish-looking beings, like it, it looks like a just terrifying, terrifying seed of just really evil-looking creatures. Yeah. Uh, this is also one of the most colorful pictures that you have. Uh, so yeah, the entire everyone is essentially like burnt orange, red, except for the witch who is who still is pale white. white. Um, so man, this is I don't like it. You can take that away. I don't it, I don't want this it does look eerily similar to the picture of Aslan and his people. That's true, but at least Aslan's people don't have uh seductive murderous demons. Um so that's fair, something. Fair. Uh so we get this description. And like this is his quick little interjection of all of these terrifying creatures. And then he gets back to like some some good writing again, uh, because even in this environment, this terrifying environment filled with horrible creatures, Aslan walks up and everyone stills, everyone stops, and they are terrified, including the witch. So even in this moment where he is surrounded and he is supposedly giving himself up, they are still terrified of Aslan. It says Cowering. owl and gibber of dismay went up from the creatures when they first saw the great lion pacing towards them. And for a moment, even the witch herself seemed to be struck with fear. I I love that. Honestly, it's, it's such a great description. Um, but as the, as the creatures and the witch realize that he's not going to attack and we'll get to that here in a little bit, but she realizes Okay, everything's actually going to plan. And she says, the fool, bind him fast. Uh, and everyone is waiting for Aslan to roar or to attack, but he doesn't. He just lets it happen. He lets them bind him and attack him. And they roll him over and they begin to 
like jeer at him and uh, as if they're the ones doing something brave. Uh, and he just lets it happen. He yeah. makes no noise. Even when his enemies are straining and tugging and pulling the cords so tight that they're cutting into his, his flesh, he still does nothing. They begin to shave him and, you know, shear his beautiful mane. And he does nothing. Yeah. He very clearly holds himself back. He goes willingly. Like you said, even though they're mocking him, they shave him, they bind him, they muzzle him. I mean, the point that this is his choice is is just abundantly clear. Yeah. And there's obvious Christ parallels there. But yeah, I I really love this line that's that's in there. For now that the first shock was over, the shorn face of Aslan looked to her, Lucy, braver and more beautiful and more patient than ever. Ugh. That's one of my favorite lines. It's so, yeah, it's so noticeable because like, I don't know, you think about the what this is an allegory for, Jesus at his trial and him being beaten and, and abused before being put on the cross. And just the idea that that is the point where he looks the weakest to his enemies is actually the point to those who serve and follow him that he looks the strongest and the most beautiful and the most patient is, is incredible. It's, it is really sweet. And it it really gives some weight to the cross moment. Like you were saying, it really, it, it allows you to know this, this seeming victory for, the enemy is actually the most conquering thing that Jesus accomplished, that Aslan accomplishes, right? Uh, even as they're calling him, uh, you know, just a great cat and they're insulting him by, uh, you know, asking if he wants a saucer of milk and, um, you know, asking how many mice he's caught, calling him little, little puss. Like yes. it's, it's even in the midst of all this, he still looks triumphant. He still looks brave. He is calm. He is serene, even when one of his paws could kill an entire section of this group and one bite from his jaws could destroy the people. He lets himself be tied up and muzzled. And as he's defenseless and tied up, they're still scared. They still don't understand. Um, they, they, they decide, even as we are you know, bringing him onto the stone table, He's still so formidable that we need to tie him up more and that we need to uh, tighten the cords to make sure that he's okay. Because as Susan like cries out, they are still afraid of him even now. Uh, and even now, and this is where we get to the, the climactic moment. Zaslan's tied up. He's laying flat on the stone and a hush falls over the crowd. And the witch once again, Rolls up her sleeves. She bares her arms because when you got killing to do, can't splash any blood on your sleeves. I, I guess not. And look, I know we're in the middle of a dramatic moment in this chapter, but what is the significance of the witch's bared arms? Like she I don't know, man. This, when she's going to sacrifice Edmund, she does this here when she kills Aslan. Like, what possibly could be the reason that she has to show her arm? <laughs> Well, I, he has to go full Madonna for this. Like, what's I, happening? I don't. I don't know. I like honestly. I think she's just really proud of her toned physique and I wants to know. show off her arms. Like, hey, 
you do you, Quaid. You know, like she just wants to flex on her haters. Uh, and she's going to do that by burying her arms before she stabs them with like another thing I don't really understand the significance of. And I'm wondering if you do is it, he goes out of his way to describe the knife that she's going to kill Aslan with and yeah. make sure that we know that it's it it's not a knife made of steel, but one made of stone. And it had a strange and evil shape. Like, do you have context why this matters? I don't know. I, I mean, I think both of these together kind of the sense I get is that they are part of the ritual, the magic, the the deep magic that's being satisfied here. That's not just a whimsical like killing that is happening here, but that these are all pieces of a puzzle that the witch is trying to put together to satisfy the the rule book that she has and so i i don't know why like why it has to be a specific knife why she might have to have a sleeveless outfit uh it doesn't necessarily make sense but but also like i just chalk it up to like well there's probably some like stipulation article two section eight that you gotta stone knife or it doesn't count yeah so stone knife or it doesn't count everyone knows this we know this it's uh, this we know it's, this this we know uh but she she draws her stone knife with her bare arms and we get this one last description before we hear her monologue it says her face was working and twitching with passion but he looked up at the sky, still quiet, neither angry nor afraid, but a little sad. And I love it because even in this final moment of description of Aslan, who is the one that's in control? Yeah. She is a slave to her emotions and passions. She is equally terrified and excited. Aslan isn't afraid. He's not scared. It's just a little sad. But he is the one in this description, who is in control. He is allowing this to happen. Yeah, it really, the the dynamics of how power is exerted versus withheld is really significant here. Absolutely. And it, uh, And I just think even mixed into that, the witch's kind of little speech here, mm-hmm. and, and now who is one fool? Did you think that by all this, you would save the human traitor? Now I will kill you instead of him as our pact. And so the deep magic will be appeased. But when you are dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? And and she says that he has given her Narnia forever. I, I love the consistency of her thinking that she's one. Like this entire situation somehow makes sense to her, even though she sees that he's given over. She sees that the logic in her mind should be on her side. She, there, there is something about evil and, and just the idea that you've got to enact your own will that makes you think that you are, you have a leg up on everyone else. Like she never stops to think, well, why is Aslan doing this? She just takes the, takes the W yeah. that she's won the war when really like this is her undoing. Absolutely. And, you know, spoiler warning for Harry Potter once again, uh, but this is the Voldemort and Harry in the Forbidden Forest moment where Harry walks up willingly giving himself away and Voldemort's like, Harry Potter, the boy who lived. 
come to die. It doesn't question anything, right? Great impression. Thank you. I appreciate it. You know, going for my Ralph Fine, you know, uh, work real hard here. But he, they don't, they don't consider their actions. This is the hubris, and ultimately, this is going to be the moment that haunts the witch forever. She was so assured of her victory that she begins to taunt Aslan to his face while he allows it of the foolish bargain that he has made. But in the end, it's this very bargain. It's the fact that he's giving up his life that's going to assure not only his resurrection and the life of Edmund, but the victory for him and all of his followers and the destruction of the queen. If this sounds familiar, it should, because this is the, this is the gospel. Do you have anything uh, else before we dive further up and further in, Chase? I mean, just got to love that uh, we're not going to see the actual moment of the killing because this is still a family-friendly book. He, C.S. Lewis definitely goes out of his way to make sure that we know that children didn't see it. Which, which if I was... See the blood spatter. Here's the thing. If this was a modern-day fantasy book, I would be convinced that Aslan never died because of that one line. Oh, because because if, if I don't see a body, no one's dead. No, even that's sometimes a- when you do see a body, they're not dead. But like that's everyone knows who's like a fan of Game of Thrones, watching the series or reading the book. Like if you don't see the body, they're still around. Yeah, it's, it's just a rule. It's a rule. I I am so distrustful of fantasy scripture because of this reason. But obviously, C.S. Lewis hasn't gotten that far in his his reading yet because he's old and dead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is this is old fantasy. New fantasy's got a lot more complexity, a lot more nuance, like we've sure. talked about. But. When someone's dead, they're dead, unless it's Aslan or Gandalf. Spoiler yep. yep, yep, yep. Uh, but to dive further up and further in, I'll start us off, um, because as I mentioned last podcast, this is now just Theology Hour, because these are some heavy, heavy theology chapters uh, and heavy biblical metaphor chapters. And so this whole time is basically... Just Jesus's walk through the garden, his trials, and Jesus's death. Uh, you know, take your pick for which one you want to hone in on. But ultimately, C.S. Lewis decides to tackle all of this in one chapter. Um, where if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus has uh, the Last Supper with his disciples, where he tells them, uh, you know, he's about to go and die, and he wants to go pray in the garden. Enter, uh, you know, Aslan with all of his uh, followers, with all of his, with the Pevensey children. He's walking through uh, up to the moment, like where he, you know, goes to the the stone table. He's with his his followers. It's an interesting parallel that you know the uh, the girls can't sleep when Jesus's disciples in the garden with him, Peter, James, and John, can only keep falling asleep. They can't stay awake. So it's an interesting little like reference there, whether intentional or not. But Jesus is distraught. He begins sweating blood because he's so stressed out uh, that and, and so worried about what's about to happen. He is concerned. He is not excited about what's about to happen. And, you know, the, it, it conveys that moment here. And then enter the trial, right? The, the moments leading up to his desk where uh, Jesus's followers have abandoned him. Peter has rejected him thrice uh, at, the, at the sound of a, of a rooster. All of his disciples besides Peter haven't even made it that far. They've ran away. He is alone. The only people can watch from afar as he is. Jesus is beaten. He is whipped. He is mocked. He is 
brought before a fake trial several times where false witnesses come up before him uh, and no one can convict him uh, and except they finally decide to put him to death. Uh, they, they scream taunts at him saying, aren't you the son of God? Aren't you the king? Why don't you, you know, if you're if, prophesy who struck you, you know, t- you know, break yourself free from these, these bondage, right? If you're actually the son of God, do these things, right? Aslan the whole time is able to destroy the people who are whipping him and shaving him and muzzling him. He could destroy them with a swipe of the paw, with the bite of his mouth, but he decides not to. He lets it happen. He just takes it. And they say, you're nothing but just a great cat. You're just, a, you're, you're, why were we so afraid of you this whole time? You don't actually have power. And so they put him on the stone table and they tie him up just as Jesus was uh, nailed onto the cross. And in a final moment where Satan thinks he has won and he has declared victory, it's actually in that moment where Jesus is the most victorious. Because in that single moment where he yells out, it is finished, to tell us that he gives up his spirit, that is when sin has been conquered for all people, that the uh, the debt paid or the debt owed by humanity was paid by Jesus and that we are saved because of his actions. And in this moment, when Aslan willingly lets himself be tied to the stone table and killed by the white witch, he is saving the life of Edmund. He is redeeming his life with his own and he is claiming victory for all of Narnia because it's in this one moment that all of the witch's schemes have now failed because she doesn't understand the sacrificial love that Aslan has. And Satan did not understand the sacrificial love that Jesus could have. He only understood what was right in front of him, that Jesus was was dead now and he didn't have to worry about it anymore. This is the the biggest moment of analogy that C.S. Lewis can write. Uh, and he, he makes sure to include all of these aspects throughout the entirety of it. If you're a listener, um, I would encourage you to go read Isaiah 53. It's a beautiful description, a prophecy hundreds of years before the life of Jesus, uh, talking about how he willingly is going to go to his death on behalf of humanity and really amazing, wonderful descriptions. And then I would encourage you to spend some time reading the gospel accounts of Jesus's like moments leading up to his death and his resurrection. Um, and it's really, really beautiful. Um, but yeah, that's my further up in him. Awesome. My further up and further in, uh, entitled monster mash part two. Uh, <laughs> Similar. Uh, <laughs> it, it's actually more of an extension of my further up and further in from last chapter on dualism. But I mean, essentially point is, I have a problem with the depiction of bad guys in this book. And, and that problem is that they are monsters, like literal monsters. Uh, C.S. Lewis has the quote unquote good char- creatures on Aslan's side. So beavers, birds, unicorns, and the quote unquote bad creatures on the witch's side, ogres, hags, wolves, whatnot. And this makes for effective drama in some ways. It, it builds out what, what we talked about with dualism of this light versus dark. In the real world, though, it's not that simple. Like, the bad guys are people, too. And that's what makes it complicated and actually more interesting. You can't look at someone and see their character. You can't judge a person as good or evil by their appearance. You 
can't create an us versus them based on physical traits like that. That's what racism tries to do. That's part of why it's so abhorrent. Um, even actions can be difficult to judge by because we're all a mix of good and bad. It's too simplistic, but this is a common trope in fantasy, especially, but literature in general. Um, um, one of the common criticisms of the Harry Potter series that J.K. Rowling, especially in the early books, makes a lot of her villains ugly or fat, and that's not cool. Um, it's fair to criticize that because beauty is subjective for one thing, but also physical appearance is not related to a person's character. In the Star Wars, the good guys are the light colors, blue and green lightsabers. The bad guys are dark colors, red lightsabers. Right? And, and visual storytelling like this is powerful. It makes a point, but it's also dangerous when we try to take that idea into the real world. Bad guys aren't monsters. They're us. In fact, if we're taking this to the biblical parallel, it is the same people that were celebrating Jesus on Monday that killed him on Friday. And so something to think about as we track with these themes in the story, good versus evil is more attractive when we make it an us versus them. But the reality is it's never that simple. And uh, that is one of the cool things about how literature has progressed in recent years is that, that it is more complex and does reflect more the different things that reflect reality. Um, it helps for a children's story to help children understand like, yes, bad guys, good guys, I understand what's happening, but it also can create bad expectations that lead to people really dividing themselves and, and creating opposing sides rather than seeking common ground or, or understanding where their own position might fall and the faults that might be in it because we're all the good guys in our own story. Chase, you fool. You think by ending this podcast, you can save the listeners from more of our opinions and thoughts on Narnia, but in fact, you can't because all it's going to do is bring us to another episode next week. And as I bring my knife upon you, don't worry, this podcast, though it be over, you don't need to know it. Just close your eyes, shut your ears, you know, turn off your podcast, whatever you need to do, turn around so that you know, you don't need to know for sure that this podcast is over. But as you turn around, make sure you follow us on Instagram at the Chronicles of Podcast so that you can keep up with all of our posts. You can know when we post next. You can uh, you know, follow us, leave some funny comments on our posts. Uh, you can follow us and find us wherever you find podcasts, Spotify, uh, Audible, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you may find us. Share it with your friends. We'd love to you know, engage with more people. Uh, who enjoy listening to two people nitpick about children's stories. Um, if you want to leave us a rate interview, five-star ratings are incredibly helpful. They allow us to be found by more people uh, and to be discovered uh, more readily in places perhaps like Greece or, you know, let's extend to, the, to, to Scandinavia. Who knows? Uh, but uh, in the meantime, Chase, just turn around, don't watch, and just let the podcast fade into oblivion. Can I put my sleeves back on now? No. Uh, it made sense to me. I love it. Definitely keeping it in.
it was a uh, it was a choice, and I went with it, and I committed. It was, you know what, Kel? No one can deny it. it absolutely was a choice. It was a choice <laughs> that ma- that was made, a decision that happened. All right. <laughs>